Hello, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways. This is episode number seven. I'm your host, Court Whitman. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Notecast app. Use the Notecast app to save snippets of podcasts as digital notes so you never forget all those thoughts, ideas, or aha moments that come from, hey, driving in the car or being in the gym and listening to a podcast like this where I'm convinced there'll be some great things that come from my guest today that you're going to want to remember. You can download Notecast in the Apple Store or on Google Play. And if you enjoy this podcast, please explore more about me at my website, courtwhitman.com. For all new listeners out there, High Performance Pathways is a purpose-built and specially selected collection of someone's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. This content is collected during a one-on-one interview, and then it's shared with you. Why? Because I believe everyone has a different path to high performance. And hearing about the paths that other professionals have journeyed along is informative and it's inspiring. During each episode of Higher Performance Pathways, it is my intent to do five things for you. Number one, connect. Connect you to someone else to build relationships. Number two, question to understand. Number three, share to raise perspective. Number four, teach to increase competence. And number five, inspire. Inspire to trigger your growth. One additional note to cover as you continue listening. This podcast is raw, meaning there's no post-production editing. We record live and deliver it to you exactly as it was recorded. Now, my guest today is Steve Wiley. Steve is a certified executive and leadership coach and the president of Seek LLC. Steve founded Seek with the mission, and I quote, to help organizations redefine and pursue wellness via solutions that enhance collaboration and teamwork, mitigate anxiety and stress, promote healthy balance, and advance a values-based culture. End quote. Prior to starting Seek, Steve was an account manager at SRA International, where he was responsible for growth, execution, and staff development associated with $80 million of annual business and approximately 400 employees. Steve holds a bachelor's degree in business from the College of William and Mary, where he learned many of his leadership and cultural lessons as a member of the varsity football team. He later earned a master's degree in engineering management from the George Washington University. Steve is PMP certified and a graduate of the Industry Advisory Council Partners Program. He served as a coach and a mentor to dozens of business leaders and delivered culture and values training during his tenure at SRA. Today, Steve is a guest speaker at corporate events, training seminars, and other not-for-profit functions with special emphasis on organizational wellness, intentional culture, and life balance. His newly released book, Navigate Chaos, was a number one bestseller on Amazon, and we're thrilled to have him with us today. So Steve, thank you so much for checking in with us to share your perspectives on high performance. Court, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and look forward to our discussion. 
Absolutely, man. And I just I want to thank Jason Williams, a friend of ours that connected us. And I mean, hey, the, the life moves around, I think, uh, based upon relationships. So just just thrilled to have this chance to talk with you and really for my listeners to get an opportunity to just learn from your incredible experience. And I'd like to just start with a discussion about your book, Navigate Chaos. If you would, Steve, share with us, you know, wh- where did you draw and find inspiration to write this book? And if you would, what's it all about? Sure. Well, I appreciate the question. I, um, I say I'm on a personal mission to rid the world of zombies in the workforce. You may ask, why, why am I on that mission? It's because I was one. And you know, when I graduated from college, early in my 20s, I took off on my career on a dead sprint. I had a good job. It was paying the bills. Um, but I'd like to say I was in the passenger seat of the vehicle I call my life. I was really just going where I thought society expected or where I thought others expected me to go. Um, it was good. I was learning through the process, but I really wasn't engaged, wasn't really authentic about who I am and what I cared about. And that was fine as a bachelor in my 20s. Eventually, I got married, had a couple kids. And as you know, the the commitments start to mount. And I was climbing the corporate ladder, caught up in the rat race. And I was just uninspired, unfulfilled. I woke up one day just wondering what the heck I'm doing. And it was leading to problems. I was living a life that, I mean, I, I call it hypocrisy. I expressed to my wife and kids that there was no one more important, but didn't demonstrate through my actions. Mm. And I was just, as an employee, just very eager to please. So I was un- uninspired, unfulfilled, unhealthy, eventually. In court, if you, uh, you know, if you read the book, the first chapter of the book tells a story that I'm not that proud of. Eventually, it led to a crash. Mm. And, and it really forced some consideration in my life. I actually had that Jerry Maguire moment. And what I did was I wrote a strategic plan. I um, defined five priority areas of my life and wrote 22 objectives in this book. You know, I wrote that plan back in 2006. This book was me crossing off the 22nd, the final objective of that original strategic plan. And I, I had just written at that time to write a book to inspire other professionals lost in their career and life. And wow. that's what I did. That's incredible, man. Um, I think what I'm hearing from you there is maybe, and, and I might get this wrong, but maybe what you started on doing was actually even more fulfilling for you when it came to the end. Um, At least that's kind of what I heard uh, in what you shared there. And just another thing that I think resonates with me. And first of all, I think everyone can get behind, you know, this idea of I'm a a zombie, right? I I, got to believe, I know I have spent that time as being a zombie uh, in in my life at the workplace. So I think folks can can really identify with that. And one of the things that, that I just wrote down here as I'm listening to you kind of share that out, um, is I believe there's kind of three categories of work. Um, there's work as a job, right? And for me, that's typically defined as, you know, I'm in pursuit of a dollar amount in order to deliver on something that I want in my life. So that's work as a job. Uh, work as a career for me is more defined as, hey, um, you know, I have a desire to be someone or somebody. Like there's a, there's a positive role model in your life that you identify with. For me, it was my father, and therefore my dad was a soldier. I wanted to be a soldier, bam, end of story. And then what I've really 
thought there's incredible value around is this concept of work as a calling. And, and that's what I heard from you is how, how, how in some way um, can you rid the workplace of, of zombies in the, in, in the workforce by maybe, I don't know this is true, right? I'm making some strong assessments here, um, helping people understand how they identify with a calling experience and, and how that can be sought after in our vocation. So just wanted to share that out, partner. Uh, and, and that's been helpful for me um, as I've reflected on my life. Um, so yeah, Court, I am um, a great observation. And just to kind of tag on to that, uh, this work as a calling, I, you know, a lot of us get into a job and it is, it does become that first. It's, it's a job, it pays the bills. And and like I did, I think many people wake up one day and they're just kind of like, how did I get into this spot in the first place? Sure. Work as a calling, you know, for me, it didn't require me to get another job. Initially, I thought hmm. the grass was greener somewhere else. And I blamed my clients and my colleagues and um, my boss for my problems. And then eventually I woke up one day and said, you know what? I can actually reinvent myself right where I am and make mm-hmm. my work about something more meaningful. And I did that. I, I actually rewrote my job description. My, my boss didn't even know it. I was <laughs> a project manager. Yeah, I, I, was, I was leading enterprise architecture work for the federal government. It wasn't that exciting to me. But I actually redefined my job and made it about inspiring and empowering my colleagues to be successful. I actually have a great story about a cafeteria worker at William & Mary who did what I call what I now refer to, and I call it in the book, job crafting. It's making your job more meaningful and something that inspires you to wake up every day. This cafeteria worker, she served food. That was her job. That's not how she viewed it. She served souls. Anyone who went to a college of William and Mary in the 1980s or 1990s, they know Ernestine Jackson. She was an amazing person who greeted every student there. She was a surrogate teacher, parent, counselor, friend, the thousands of students that crossed her path. So really, I challenge your listeners, how do you craft your job in a way that makes it more inspiring and meaningful? And that was a big part of my own transformation about what I call taking the con and just having an impact. Yeah, I love it, man. What, what an incredible story. And I, I guarantee that everyone listening uh, has someone like that. Uh, in their life that they come across. Um, and it's really interesting, I think, in some cases, even, you know, that they sometimes don't come by way of the founder or the CEO or the executive director. It's maybe just the simple touches in life where we can find someone that they're really just, you know, happy to be alive and, and happy to be of service to others. Um, so, hey, man, love it. Thanks so much. Um, and I, I actually, I really do appreciate the call out that um, you mentioned here specifically saying that you don't, we're not talking about you having to leave your current job. You can actually just reset your mindset in a way to maybe thrive uh, in the job that you're at. And if you want to learn more about how you do that, I'd encourage you to pick up that book by Steve here, Navigate Chaos. Um, all right, Steve. Hey, man, let's talk a little bit now. Uh, and I'd love to talk about your company, Seek. Um, and I, re- I want to begin with just a call out of something that I really thought was, was, was beautiful in the way that you say it. And it might not even be your tagline, but that's what resonated for me. And, and I quote here, seek a better way, end quote. So, you know, similar to the last question here, I'm trying to tap into some inspiration um, and just real curious, you know, what, what inspired you 
to, to move out of a very successful career in, in the management of a tremendous amount of, of employees um, and start this company. And if you would also potentially share what that mission is at Seek and how you serve others. Wow. Um, so lots to unpack here. And ironically, you kind of, it, it's interesting to me that you're starting with our tagline. And that is, in fact, our tagline, Seek a Better Way. And I say that because the tagline came first. And, and the tagline came long before I decided to leave what was a really good company and a really good job. I told the story earlier that kind of led to a crash. And I tell that story in the book. And it's, again, not something that I'm proud of, but I woke up and I wrote a strategic plan and I kept pervasive in my mind was this notion, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And I've worked on transforming myself and my mindset and, and changing my perspective at work and at home and restoring healthy balance in my life, which at the time I thought would make me less of an employee. And I discovered it was actually counter. I discovered that life balance, you know, it's personal and professional success are not mutually exclusive. So after I transformed myself and I was entrusted with a team, it started at about 100 people, it grew to quickly to about 125. And I, and I saw a pervasive problem. I saw zombies everywhere. I realized it wasn't just me. And I wanted to help them. And I just kept thinking, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And one of the things I quickly realized was I can't fix this problem for others, just like I had to fix it for myself. But what I could do as a leader was establish a platform from which you can pursue a passion from which people could enhance their balance. And so what I did in the account that I led was I created the culture. And we were part of a 7,000 person company and we adhered to the values of that company, but we created our own unique and special culture. And I learned kind of through this process, one, people are the most important asset of any organization. And two, in this world of commoditized products and services, it's really your culture and how you do what you do that differentiates yourself, not necessarily what you do. And so all of that over time, I built and intentionally pursued this culture and over a seven-year period, had the best years of my personal career, but think of it more in terms of our account where we grew to 400 people. We had some of the highest engagement uh, scores in the company. And as I did all this, just like any entrepreneur, I had my little, I call it my notebook, go back and look at some of the sketches in there. And the concepts were coming to life of what I now refer to as Seek 7C's model. And so you, you asked about Seek's mission. Our mission is to help organizations, you stated this earlier, help organizations redefine and pursue wellness. Gotcha. Well, we define wellness, yeah, we define that as a healthy, engaged, inspired workforce serving a growing or otherwise successful organization. And we don't get caught up in the chicken and the egg because one provides fertile ground for the other but we contend that it's an intentional values-based culture that's the glue between those two things. And that's become the cornerstone product of our company and the services that we provide related to that. We do a lot of workshops and coaching and consulting services all geared towards engaging and inspiring the workforce and transforming the culture and building that foundation 
to, as I say, rid the world of zombies in the workforce and maximize the productivity and fulfillment of your greatest asset. Incredible, man. I'm fired up. Um, as I'm just learning here, as you're going through this, uh, of where you're dedicating your life work in this moment, because it is incredibly aligned with me. Um, I, I think that organizational culture, uh, I don't care if you've got a team or two or a team of 200, is one of the most compelling reasons to stay and be a member of a company. Uh, a lot of people ask me, Steve, and, and I want to ask you in this moment, you know, um, hey, Court, I get it. Hey, Steve, I get it. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but how do I build incredible culture? And I'll just, you know, share one of the things that I offer up is it all has to start with a, a compelling vision and the burden of responsibility for that vision comes from whoever's in charge, whoever owns, whoever founded the particular organization. And then it trickles down, I think, to, in the words that you used, a smaller team within a larger team. I think there's room for you even to have a vision for, for the 200 you led uh, as part of that 7,000. So vision is first, then a mission, right? How are we going to accomplish this vision in this particular moment in time? And that always has to be time bound. And then I think the critical piece is what are your core values? You talked a lot about values-based leadership, and I challenge anyone that answers my question. And for you all listening right now, if you're really curious, maybe how do I start? How do I build incredible culture? You got, do you have a vision? Do you have a mission? And can you clearly articulate that to the folks that you're teamed with? And then what are your core values? And you have to define those in a way that people yep. can understand. And, and then hold people accountable yeah. from a behavioral place, in my opinion. You have to police culture for it to be effective. So I don't know, buddy, if I've moved any, any thoughts on you there. I know this is what you do every day. But uh, just sharing that. Any thoughts, Steve, on that? How do you build yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And Court, you're spot on with the vision, mission, and values. Um, however, I'd actually take it even further than that. And a lot of times I go into organizations and they have the mission, vision, and values on the wall. And they've defined them and they're well articulated, or, or at least so they think. Um, we contend at SEEK, we have a foundational belief that the biggest detriment to employee engagement and organizations talk about casual Fridays and life balance seminars and all sorts of things. But we contend that the biggest detriment to employee engagement is when your professed values differ from demonstrated behaviors. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. And these are, these are all words you've already introduced, but I, I could not agree with you more. This goes back for me, the word I'm, I'm introducing is accountability. And I think that when you look at high performance, and this is high performance pathways, um, the culture and what I call the behavioral norms are critical for a high performing organization to, to achieve that. And then you have yep. the performance conversations, which is something totally different. But I think that we spend too much time in some cases, just policing and holding folks accountable for a quota for a metric. Hey, let's talk about our core values and how do those things show up. So beautiful. Yeah. And, and you just, yeah, you just said a word in what you're saying, you called it behavioral norms. And this is what I wanted to, what I wanted to get to as far as yes, vision, mission, values, all good. But we've created a sig signature product that you know, more, most companies, they have a strategic plan, they have a marketing plan, they have a financial management plan. I ask if culture is important in their organization. They say, absolutely. I say, do you have a culture plan? They shake their head and say, well, I never thought of that. But what we do is we take those values to another level. 
and we articulate because people assess and interpret values in different ways. If I tell you someone is respectful or accountable, does that mean you show up on time or does that mean you you support whatever my decisions are? I mean, there's different ways you could take any number of values. So we work with organizations on articulating what are the behaviors that reinforce those values and what are those rituals or operating norms that become a very tangible application of the core value. Our goal is to minimize, I'll call it the, we minimize what we call the angle of BS. We minimize the degree of hypocrisy in the organization. I love it, man. And I just want to offer that challenge statement that, that you kind of offered here. Um, you know, do you have a culture plan? Uh, and if you don't and you listen to this and you're curious how the heck to get started, uh, Steve's your guy. Uh, so check it out because he builds culture plans for organizations. So, hey, Steve, thanks so much, man, for sharing that. Really, really important. I mean, I almost just shut the podcast down right now because I think we could probably spend 60 minutes just going back and forth about that because I think it is so important. Um, but I do know you have other gifts to give uh, the listeners here. And so I, I want to I pivot just in a small way and, and talk a little bit about establishment of a business because clearly you've done that. And it, and it seems like to me, you're incredibly passionate about it in this short time that we spent together. And so I'm curious of advice, right? Can you offer any advice for an inspiring entrepreneur? Uh, specifically, uh, are there a couple things, you know, one, maybe two will take him if you have it or, or, or three things or actions or focal points that you'd share with someone listening right now who's in the process of starting their own company, you know, or considering giving that a shot kind of like you were when you were a member of that company before you started your own. Anything to share, my friend? Wow. Um, so it's a great question. And yeah, I probably, I wish I had thought more deeply about this question six years ago when I started Seek, but you know, we all kind of get started. We're inspired. I, I guess I would actually start right there. First and foremost, if you want to start a business, have an inspired purpose. So make sure you're in it for the right reasons. And if that reason is simply to make money, I would, I would be very cautious um, because you got to dedicate a lot of time and effort. And as hopefully you can tell just by my energy, when I talk about culture, I'm passionate about what we do. And I love that. And, and that just makes it, you know, that makes, for a successful business. So make sure you have an inspired purpose and, and that will enable you as well. There's probably another thing is just persevere because when you start a business, most businesses fail. We all know that, um, but you gotta be able to ride out the, the rough patches and the good patches and things won't go exactly as you expect it. And there were things early in the business of Seek that I was doing to help pay the bills while I was pursuing this this culture work, this leadership development work. And, and so I just stuck to it. I stuck to my guns and I continue to have to do that every day. But because I have that inspired purpose, um, I'm more able to do that. The, I guess the other thing that I think is really critical is engage with other people. You start a business, it's easy to lock yourself in your basement. Um, in particular, engage with other entrepreneurs. Because I remember starting out in the business and, 
you know, suddenly you go from leading an account where you have financial managers helping you and business developers helping you and, and people executing the work. And I've got a team of resources. Now, all of a sudden, I'm responsible for all the accounting, all the business development, all the marketing, um, all the operations. Uh, as we attempt to grow. And so there's a lot of learning that that goes on. And if you can find a community of other entrepreneurs, people you can ask questions, there were things, even simple things on taxes and some legal matters. And I'm just, you can avoid pitfalls. You can avoid mistakes. I won't go through the details, but reach out to other entrepreneurs, reach out to me, reach out to others. And you'll find that that community of entrepreneurs, we're all pretty willing and, and we want others to be successful in the same way that we strive to be successful. So people are willing to help. Wonderful. And just kind of, you know, echoing back the, the, the three habits or, or kind of advice points that Steve offers here. One is, is have an inspired purpose uh, because I think that allows you to tap into his number two here, which is persevere. And then the number three here would be engage with others and I'm just sitting with this thought that someone shared here uh, on a previous podcast, threats, uh, just have a mind shift and don't consider folks that you'd engage with as a threat, but more so as a partner. So Steve, thanks for laying that down, man, dropping some great knowledge for folks that are, that are considering doing their own thing. Uh, so thank you for that. But, hey, let's continue now about, a, about a, a really specific conversation around high performance. And it's, it's very clear that you've performed at a high level in your career to date. And I like to ask everyone that comes on here, um, you know, how, how in their own words would you define high performance? Well, that's, that's another great question. Ironically, I am, um, we, we put out blog posts on a weekly basis, and I typically write one or two of them for our company a month. Uh, and I just released one on the topic of high performance. And in particular, I've heard people talk about high performance and the key to high performance or the key ingredient to high performance being winning. I challenge that notion, quite honestly. Winning to me is an outcome. And just because you win doesn't mean you performed at a high level. And if you lose, it doesn't mean you did not perform at a high level. And this kind of gets back to the, to the mission and purpose of SEEK and our, our thoughts on core values and things of that nature. When leaders define winning as the key ingredient to high performance, that's when we cut corners. That's when athletes take performance-enhancing drugs. That's when the student cheats. That's when, when the politician lies, the business person. They evade. So, yes, I, I get it. You know, I'm as competitive as they come, and I want to win. Winning, winning is a worthwhile goal, but it's not a key ingredient to achieving high performance. So I'm not sure if this gets directly to your question, but I, you know, I, I'll share with you what we what we think are and there's plenty of ingredients to to achieving high performance certainly work ethic and discipline are critical at seek we have i'll share with you our core values we talk about intentional culture our core values are passion integrity and creativity we call it be epic i, I do a workshop called seek a better way to be epic we we that's an acronym for engaging your passion integrity and creativity now, most people, when you, you mention the word epic, they think of it as a singular event. 
And for me and for our company, we talk about epic, the other definition of epic being a long narrative, a long successful narrative. So when we talk high performance, we're not talking short-term results. I, can, I took off on my career on a dead sprint. I had some near-term results and then I crashed. Every athlete knows you've got to rest to recover, to be better. And so we're, we're in it for the long haul. Um, Court, have you, uh, I'll try to put a sports metaphor if you don't mind, sure. but have you ever played basketball? I have. Uh, one of my dreams was to dunk a basketball. I have miserably failed on that achievement. Um, but uh, yeah, I will say it wasn't my greatest sport, but I coach my, my son and daughter on it right now. And I'm incredible awe of the folks that can play that sport. <laughs> well, well, we have one more thing in common. The best I could do was dunk a tennis ball, but uh, that was a goal. And unless I dropped the hoop a little bit, it was a challenge. <laughs> um, but anyway, if for anyone who's learned basketball, and we could talk about this in football terms, which I know you played as well, um, there's an acronym to learn how to shoot a basketball and shoot effectively. It's called BEEF. And the B in that acronym stands for balance. Your feet are you know, shoulder width apart. You've got good balance. You've got to have good balance in football. If you're off balance at the point of attack, you're going to get knocked on your butt. Absolutely. In basketball, if you lack balance, you're going to shoot left or right. Well, just like that in sports, we contend that the key to long-term high success, high performance, sustained excellence, fulfillment is balance. Gotcha. And that relates to our core values from the standpoint of the word integrity, because integrity has a much deeper meaning. It's about being whole. It's one. It's an integer. It's a whole number, being authentic, being balanced. And so... First step is high performance. You got to have balance. The, you go back to the BEEF acronym, the next letter is E, and that stands for I. So your eye is on the target. In basketball terms, you keep your eye on the front of the rim. You take it to any other sport, take it to football. You keep, if you take your eye off the ball, you're going to drop the ball. If you take your eye off the numbers, you're making a tackle, you're going to miss. So, really, I relate this to our passion. It's kind of what are you passionate about? What are your goals? What are your objectives? What's your target? And keep your eye, keep your focus, sustain focus on that passion and your goals. Keep your eye on the ball. Key to high performance, key to success. You start with balance, you have a target. Uh, my, my acronym or my sports analogy fails here because in basketball, the next letter is E, which is elbow. You want to keep your elbow under ball, but I'm going to skip that if you're okay and move on. It's the S that is key which stands for follow through. Again, in basketball, you, you follow through with your wrist pointed directly at the hoop. Key to successful basketball shot. Same football, you follow through, you're making a tackle, you drive your hips, you finish, you follow through. Well, our be epic acronym, the last value is creative. And we say that to be epic, it's about the creative application of your passion or a passion sustained with integrity. That creates an epic, high-performance narrative. And that creative application is about action. And you create, you intentionally take actions to follow through towards that vision. And so I would offer that up. Be epic. You want to be epic? What's high-performance about? If you make it purely about winning, there's our cultures, there's problems 
that come with making it all about winning. And I don't get me wrong. I am all about winning. But from our culture standpoint, it's about doing things the right way. And if you do things the right way, you apply, creatively apply a passion and sustain with integrity, you're going to be a high performer. Incredible. I mean, Steve, there, there's so many wonderful nuggets you just dropped on us here uh, with this reflection. And I, I just want to highlight and summarize uh, really three of them. Um, I think what I resonated with most in what you shared there is when we're talking about maybe you introducing this definition for high performance, what I heard was maybe it's, it's you know, how do you assess your ability to achieve and maintain balance? in in life in work and i'm not quite sure how to close that out maybe it's just balance um as a perspective for higher performance and then you specifically introduced and a challenge here of being epic with an incredible acronym which i think i got right here which is um, be engaged be passionate be intentional and be creative and that's how you be epic uh, in steve's company am i right on that close Uh, very close <laughs> it's uh engaging passion, integrity, and creativity. Oh, bam. Okay. Uh integrity. So no strike worries. strike my eye. Eye is integrity. <laughs> and then also this great acronym of beef, right? So I love it. Incredible uh helpful things there for folks to consider. So thank you so much, Steve, for sharing that. Um want to transition now to I think one of the things that that we've touched on a bit but seems to be a, sort of a focal point uh, that you've shared and it's wellness. And I think wellness is a word almost like strategy or leadership. It's words that I see a lot out there in the space of corporate America. And then I read someone's definition of it uh, and I'm just, I'm not in alignment. And so I want to hear, you know, just like as you kind of framed high performance for us, I'm really interested to talk about wellness um, because I believe wellness has a significant impact upon performance. And so I define wellness as, you know, my ability uh, to find and maintain fulfillment in life. And I'm introducing this word fulfillment. I think to date, uh, it may be synonymous with balance, but uh, I think balance is very, very hard to achieve. And so, and I coach around balance a lot. There's a lot of people that have a desire to be balanced in their life. And I think fulfillment opens the, a different perspective to consider. And to that end, I'll argue that fulfillment can best be achieved with a focus on physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and financial fitness. Those are kind of the five lines of effort that I've learned to invest time and effort and energy in for me to be fulfilled. But I'm less interested in what the heck I think about it, right? I'm more interested in you. And how would you define wellness? And and do you have any habits that you'd encourage my listeners to embrace to achieve high levels of wellness in their life? Well, Court, I think you nailed it. I'm just going to turn. No, I'll give you uh, a <laughs> building <man>. upon. <laughs> well, building upon what you said, I am. Um, Yes, there is a broad component to wellness. We have wellness in our mission statement for our organization. Now, this is organizational wellness, and we have a very clear definition of what that means in terms of an an engaged, inspired, and healthy workforce. So, you know, speaking to the individual, it really, to me, it really gets to this healthy component. And what you said really resonates. Health is not just physical health. It's 
man, there's mental, emotional, and spiritual, and, and even you allude to financial health and, and of course, physical health. Um, so I keep coming back to the word balance, and I know some people, um, quite honestly, in the book, I dismissed the term work-life balance. Uh, last I checked, work isn't somehow counter to or measured against my life. It's a part of it. So when I talk about balance, I'm talking about life balance. And guess what? My definition of life balance is going to be different than your definition of life balance. And it all, it all comes down to what are your priorities in your life? And many of us have priorities related to our relationships, related to our careers, related to fitness, health, things of that nature. Um, and just like, you know, I mentioned earlier, the, the biggest detriment to engagement in organizations is hypocrisy. The biggest detriment to healthy balance in human beings is hypocrisy. It is when your professed priorities differ from your demonstrated behaviors or priorities. If you profess that your relationship with your spouse and children is the most important thing in your life and you're spending 16 hours a day at the office, are you well? Mm. Or if you profess that your faith is the most important thing in your life, but you only demonstrate at church on Sunday, is that healthy? Mm. Or if you're, you profess your health is the most important thing in your life and exercise to use just carrying your folding chair from one kid activity to the next. So my, my book really gets to the heart of this. And I think you had asked kind of what habits to build, to uh, pursue wellness. And, and I'll just share with you kind of the primary chapters of the book are, are all about what I just talked about. It's about, you know, first, first chapter or first, I mean, there's, several chapters, but relative to the approach, I would say, pursue a mission and identify your priorities. So it begins with a P. I'm going to give you another acronym, but pursue a mission and priorities. So it's really clearly articulating, and I say a mission to relieve yourself of pressure of defining your mission. My mission may change. My mission has changed in my life. I think people feel this pressure, but, but it's really articulating what are your priorities. Second step is establish routines. That's P-E. So establish routines that reinforce those priorities. I profess to my wife and kids they're most important. I didn't demonstrate it. I started to build in routines. I, I couldn't find time to have a date with my wife on the weekends, and I started building in weekly lunch dates. I actually started to volunteer. I put things on my plate that were counter to how busy I was one-on-one time with each of my children annual vacations where I shut down completely. I, you can have a whole list of routines that I established in the book. Then the question becomes, what good are those routines if you're not present to them? This was a pervasive problem for me. I would go home, I'd say, yes, I'll be home for dinner. But the dinner conversation was background noise to the screaming monkeys in my head. It doesn't really do you any good to say, well, I only worked eight hours today, but your head is somewhere else for the next eight hours when you're with your family. So it's being present. And these are mental things that simple exercises can help. The next step, so that was P-E-A. You may see where this is going. The next one was choose your disposition. And with all due respect, I have great sensitivity with, for those who are 
and battling mental illness of some sort. But most of us have an opportunity to choose our disposition. Are you going to be a despondent Eeyore or a bouncy Tigger? I'm not saying you have to be some kumbaya about everything, but choose to take a positive perspective on things. Life is good. We often just revert to the negative. So if you have these routines that reinforce your priorities and your presence to them, what good is it if you just are negative to choose your disposition? Finally, the last step, I won't go into the detail here, but it's embrace a broader integrity. And we've talked a little bit about that. We have something we call the three W's of integrity. The last one really is about wholeness, authenticity, being true to yourself, being whole. And as you can tell now, this pursuit of healthy balance is all about peace. It's about fulfillment. Mm. It's about a peace that's not the absence of conflict or problems. But it's about a peace knowing that you can handle whatever's thrown your way. I'm just, I can't tell you, Court, how my life has changed dramatically because I am simply at peace. Things that used to just stress me out of my mind you know what? I can, I can handle it. I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am and where I am. It doesn't mean I have challenges just like anyone else. Good days and bad days. My whole perspective has changed. To me, that's wellness. That's phenomenal, man. And, and there's no way that, that I can kind of capture all the, the incredible content that you just shared there. So I'm just going to encourage people to reach out to the the freaking book to get all everything that uh, that Steve just laid down there, and I, I'm telling you, I, this is not a plug for for Steve's book. This is just because I think what he's going through here, it, it's it's great, right? I mean, so uh, I want to return just to one thing because I want to get it right in my own mind. You, you define for 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 me and our listeners out there uh, what I believe to be a great definition for wellness. When and you kind of closed out with peace, but I initially had three words. You said engaged inspired and there was a third word there that i missed can you re recall that for me steve engaged inspired and healthy okay uh, and that and, really related to our or, our definition of organizational wellness and yeah. the collective staff absolutely and that's why i wanted to call it out because i think a lot of folks here our managers are our presidents of organizations that are listening to this right now and i think when they're looking for a definition for organizational wellness uh, that's a really good thing to offer up engaged inspired and healthy and then the other thing i really just wanted to highlight here because i think it's really important that you introduce this is this idea and this recognition that hey my definition for wellness and maybe even for fulfillment is different than yours and the only way, I mean, I was an internal leadership coach for, for two and a half years at a company called Teamworks in Durham, North Carolina, and, and this was kind of my most important mission. It was engaging in intimate one-on-one -on -one conversations with the employees in the company, and oh, by the way, I challenge managers to do this, right? If you're responsible for the supervision of someone, you got to have engaged, intimate conversations and ask them questions like, do you feel valued? You know, what do you need to be fulfilled? And beginning to take this opportunity to go beyond the workplace requirements, because when you do that, I think you're able to be incredibly engaged and inspire the people that you're working with. And you might get some insight to whether or not 
they're in a good state of health. Um, and so this idea of my definition is different is really important. And you can only understand what the different definitions are through conversation with people that you work with. So I challenge you to do that. And, and the last thing I want to say is there's a major commercial that's running right now in most of the football programs because that's where I spend all my time, which is ESPN. And it talks about the golden rule. And I think this ties into this because my definitions are different, made me think about this. And the golden rule they're using in their commercials is this idea of, hey, treat people how you want to be treated, right? And I think a lot of us can get behind that. I mean, the golden rule is out there for a reason. However, I challenge the golden rule. I think what we want is tying into Steve's comment here of, of my definition for fulfillment is different. And oh, by the way, why don't we consider rejecting the golden rule? And I, let me introduce the platinum rule, which is treat others how they want to be treated. Not, not treat others how I want to be treated, but treat others how they want to be treated. And you got to know others to know how to treat them. So, Steve, uh, I love the acronym of PEACE. I don't think I can go through all that again, but thank you so much for just th that moment in time to talk about wellness and, and all these different kind of roads we could go down in that. Oh, happy, right. to, happy to do it. And just one, one thing I, I left short on the definition of organizational wellness. So you mentioned engaged, inspired, healthy workforce. One thing that is very critical to us at, at SEEK is we are... <laughs> We're not interested in just going and creating an engaged and inspired workforce for no benefit. So organizational wellness also en encompasses, and en it's an engaged, inspired, and healthy workforce serving a growing or otherwise successful organization. So we oh, yeah. want to make sure that we're tying any organizational wellness initiatives to the business results and goals and objectives of the organization. So if you're doing it just to make people happy, you're not going to be in business very long. Um, <laughs> so just wanted to point, point that out that we are very critical in understanding and understanding and I practice this internally. We've got to be successful. And that sometimes forces you to make decisions with constrained resources that, that others may not um, agree with. And that's okay. Uh, the key here is just being true to your core values and the intentional culture that you define. So just wanted to add that clarification. Absolutely. And I think it's really important. So, so thanks for, for closing that one out there for us uh, in its entirety, as you see organizational wellness. Um, I want to return for a minute really to you, if we could in this moment, because um, I, am, I am fascinated and I'll continue to be fascinated by the men and women that are out there today doing incredible things with their life that were competitive athletes at the collegiate or professional level prior to stepping into the workforce. And, and, and so I, I'm going to argue that my experience as a college football player was incredibly formative. And my guess is, is that it, it may in fact have been for you as well. And so I'm just real curious in this life after sport um, that you're stepping into here, you know, after you stop playing football, are there any habits that you can attribute to your time as a competitive athlete that have allowed you to perform at a high level in, in your work today? And Steve, you might be on mute, brother. Um, if you are, I'm calling you out and uh, please unmute. 
looks like uh, Steve dropped off for a second. So we'll just give him a second to check back in with us. But, you know, I, I think I think some of the things that he shared here have been been incredibly um, just important for us all to reflect on. And so uh, let's give him a second here to get back in with us and uh, we'll take it from there. Take this opportunity to, you know, make sure you're driving down the right direction in the car. Uh, you know, maybe take this opportunity to, uh, you know, make sure you're getting that last rep in or running as hard as you can. We'll be back with you here in just one second. Hey, Steve, back with us here, buddy. And I think uh, you got that complete question. I was just really curious about, you know, if you can reflect for a moment about just your time as an athlete competitively and how that's maybe been helpful to life after sport here. Yeah, well, it was such a difficult question. I had to drop off and think about it for a while. But <laughs> no, that's obviously not the case. My apologies for uh, the phone connection dropping. I, I did laugh a little bit as you asked this question, and I'm not sure. I'll give you my initial, what immediately came to my head, and then I'll give you the kind of what I think is more impactful from a business standpoint. But you talk about habits that you learned from your days uh, in college athletics and I had the great fortune this past weekend. I took my, my daughter uh, to the College of William & Mary to start her freshman year. So she is going to my alma mater, and it was just really exciting. And uh, she's going to be a competitive gymnast there. And as part of that, we had to go to a meeting in Kaplan Arena, which used to be called William & Mary Hall. And we used to have a lot of our football team meetings in, in that facility. And I was just coming from moving my daughter in for her freshman year and it had been raining and I'm sweating and I've got a baseball cap on and a t-shirt and we're now going to this meeting for the parents of all, all the incoming athletes. And the moment I walked into Kaplan arena and I don't even, it was so instinctual. I took my hat off <laughs> and this, this may sound so insignificant, but our head coach at William & Mary, Jimmy Laycock, he was the longest tenured Division I football coach in the nation as of last year, and he just retired. He had been there 39 years. If you ever walked into a building and left your hat on, you ran. It was respect. And, and, I, and I think about that, and that was like the first thing. There's so many little habits like that. Uh, another interesting story that just came to mind, my freshman year, um, we, we would have team meetings late, late at night, and the coach is asking all the freshman players for the entire week. He's going, who's written a letter to their mother? Who has written a letter to their mother? And each day, you know, more and more hands are going up. And I wasn't going to lie. I didn't write a letter to my mother, and I was one of the last two. And so on the last day, he invites me and the other guy up to the front of the room and has us do a wall seat. So we're literally sitting there pretending to have a chair underneath us with our knees bent, leaning against the wall. Absolutely. I did, uh, know the wall sleep well. And I think it's really funny uh, that we're talking about writing letters. Um, we're dating ourselves a little bit, buddy. I don't know that any college yeah. athletes write, <laughs> write many letters home. Definitely dated ourselves. But, um, but anyway, you know, he, he carried on with the meeting. We're, me and my buddy are sitting there just sweating profusely ready to drop everybody else is you know coach is just casually pretending to carry on with the meeting everybody's laughing at us 
Um, but eventually he dismissed us and said, write your mothers. And so there's little things like that that are just respect. And I guess I would say, respect your parents, respect your mother. Um, but getting to the more serious aspect of this, um, you know, what habits did I form from college that carried with me that are impactful in business? Uh, I will start number one with accountability. Um, as a football player, Corey, you know, on that field, you got a job to do and your buddy next to you has a job to do. And if he's not doing his job, it makes your job a lot harder as well. So you got to be accountable. But I'll also talk to accountability from another simple lesson imparted from our coach. If we, if we showed up on time to a meeting, we were late. And, And so we were always, we were early to every meeting. If you were late for a meeting, you were running. And I will tell you, I guarantee, I mean, I haven't talked to anyone in a business environment that meetings are not a problem where people just show up late. It's disrespectful. There's accountability. And I can't say I've never been late to a meeting, but it's something that I carried with me. Just be respectful, schedule meetings, show up on time, end them on time. Uh, be respectful. The, the other thing that is so, such a critical habit is preparation. And when I say preparation, you're probably thinking hitting the weight room, um, you know, doing all the, the running in advance, the training, being prepared. Uh, but there's also, as you know, the mental preparation. And one of the things that we did before every game, the team meeting before every game, the coach would call up one offensive player and one defensive player. And that person had to present the scout plan for the week. You had to rattle off the entire start, starting lineup for the opposing team. You had to tell us their tendencies, their strengths, their weaknesses. And I'll tell you what, I saw some guys that went into that meeting who were not prepared and they were sweating bullets. And every now and then one of them got called on. And, and he didn't just call on starters. And so I've learned professionally, always be prepared. Sure. You know, it, it will serve you well. Uh, I'll share one last thing here. I'm not even sure, Court, what to call this. Um, I guess for lack of a better term, I'll call it heart. In football, if you're, if you're the big, strong, fast guy, you have a distinct advantage. And unfortunately, that wasn't me. I, li- I like to say what I lacked in size. I was playing outside linebacker and I like to say what I lacked in size. I made up for it with a lack of speed. So I had that going for me. But <laughs> you and me both, man. Played the same position, the same struggles, but uh, I had some heart. Yeah. I that. Exactly. And heart, man, there's something to be said for it. So I was competing against bigger and faster guys, and I had to outwork them. I had to outsmart them. I had to out-technique them. I had to out-heart them. And the way I would equate this, in business is, you know, maybe it's kind of the opposite here. If you're, you're never, there's always going to be smarter people in business. And as a leader, you, you want to surround yourself with smarter people, quite honestly, but that's a whole different story. Um, But you have to figure out how to bring your heart. This gets back to being epic, how to bring your passion and sustain that with integrity. And that's, what's going to set you apart. And we have a saying at speak that kind of relates to this. I, I'd rather teach a doer than activate a thinker. 
So I would rather have the person willing to roll up their sleeves and dig in and get dirty and bring that passion, bring that heart. And to me, those are just, let's say, three key takeaways that I take away from my time playing at, you know, playing football, any sport. Um, you carry that with you in the professional environment. I'll hire you. I mean, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I love it. And I actually had four that I wrote down because I, I, I'm, I'm not dismissing the respect one. I think it's important and there's a way to be respectful and, and, and there's the right time to be respectful. And then there's maybe a time not to be, but you got to know when to turn it on and, and when to maybe turn it off based upon the cultural norms. So I had respect as number one, accountability as number two, preparation number three, and then heart um, from Steve and, and just so very well articulated. So, so thank you for sharing those with us, partner. Um, I love them and I can certainly see uh, how those are active in my life. And uh, I'm going to make sure that if some of them aren't, uh, you know, that, that I'm finding a way to get those involved. So thanks so much, my friend. And, you know, I think I've got, uh, got one more question here for you as we're kind of moving through this. Uh, there's just so much incredible content that, that you laid down. Um, and I think what I want to talk about, because in my opinion, I think you do a lot of work with, with teams, with organizations, and even not even talking about your work with Seek, it seems that you've done a lot of that. Heck, even going back to your time with Women Mary uh, as a member of a team, and then professionally, you know, as your, your time as a manager, director, a, a number of different levels. And so, what I'd love to just kind of, you know, if, if you could share with us, um, are there any habits that you have discovered to be foundational to high-performing teams? Habits foundational to high-performing teams. Um, yes. I, uh, so I'll start with what I feel destroys teams, um, fear and blame, fear and blame in cultures. They kill morale. They destroy culture. They divide groups and teams. They promote bad behaviors and, and it's a pervasive problem. And so the question becomes, well, what do you do to eliminate fear and blame in organizations? And you got to build, I mean, I'll go back to the word that we just talked about earlier, but accountability. Yep. You know, teams that have accountability, teams that show up on time, teams that pursue effective requests, that follow through, that track items, that do what they say they will do, that will build a strong culture. It, it, and just real quick, I'll relate this to a, uh, um, I mean, I'll relate it to effective leadership. Please, so, please do. Yeah. And it, so I'll just quickly share one last nugget for you to consider. I mean, we, uh, we always talk about this distinction between management and leadership and um, lots we could go into there, but management is an assertion. Leadership is an assessment. In other words, management mm -hmm. is a fact. I am a, because I'm the president of SEEK, I manage a team. I've got some resources working for me. That's a fact. I can direct them to do certain things. But I can't proclaim myself to be a leader just because I'm the president of SEEK. You have the right to decide if I'm a leader or not. Leadership is an assessment mm -hmm. made by those who choose to follow. And you know, bringing this back to the concept of teams, it just begs the question, 
what are the leadership traits that you choose to follow? And give some thought to that. And if you give some thought to that, then pursue that. Be the leader you choose to follow. Now, I, I pose that question, but I also share, and I've done a blog post on this topic, what I call the five whys of leadership. These are all words that end in why, and they are, in my opinion, good suggestions for why you should follow someone before you get to the vision that they might impart or the policies that they might encourage or whatever it may be. It's honesty. You're trusted. You do not lie. Empathy. You listen. You you don't dismiss. Um, we've already talked about accountability. You accept responsibility. You don't blame. Um, what's next? Authenticity. Authenticity. You're, you're, you're genuine. You're not acting. And finally, humility. You're relatable. So I guess I would answer the, the question about the teams that accountability is critical, but also effective leadership. And I would say that Anyone can be a leader. You choose who you're going to follow. And if you want to be an effective leader on a team, exhibit those traits. And I encourage people to on teams to think about what are the leadership characteristics I want to follow. Those should be those traits should be the ones that you vote as the captain of your football team or whatever team you're supporting. Those should be the that should be the team or the who you promote to be the manager in an organization those that are exhibiting those types of traits you'll have effective teams who respect their leaders incredible steve you know and i really appreciate the fact that you parlayed this into you know a quick commentary around management and leadership because uh, i think there's a lot of confusion out there in that space and, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast and a lot of people tune in because i think they're drinking the kool-aid on how these things are very different and i, I see so much literature out there where i think people hold management and leadership to be synonymous so thank you for that that kind of differentiation there um and then just re rehashing i mean you know you started with hey if you want to destroy your team then create fear and be a blamer uh but if, the, if you're looking for the habits to be incredible to be a high performing team um just go to the wise accountability honesty empathy responsibility authenticity and humility phenomenal phenomenal things that you're sharing with us here steve that i agree with and i think are incredibly important to creating that high performing team hey buddy you know i think that's a wrap here together uh on this episode episode seven uh, of high performance pathways i'm i'm indebted to you um our listening base is indebted to you and and what you shared with us today i think can be incredibly powerful as we move out uh on our day and wherever our days take us but as we do so i want to invite you steve just to add your signature closeout uh, to high performance pathways and we do this with every guest that comes on and it's called the breakdown and let me just walk you through this real quick um you know because I'm, I'm always, I feel like, uh, trying to be an athlete. I can't even get rid of uh, the way we used to break the huddle. So I brought this breakdown into the way we leave each other here and our listeners by, by doing this. And so there's a, there's a command of, of preparatory and a command of execution. The preparatory command will be just saying the word breakdown. And then I'll say the number three. And so when I say breakdown on three and then count one, two, three, when you hear the, the, the word three, that invites you to execute this the High Performance Pathways Breakdown. And that is simply three claps, followed by the words, boom, shakalaka, right? Because I just love saying those words. 
and Love you can it. add yeah man you you can add anything else to that that you're moved to in that moment although nothing's required so i just want to make sure because some folks have anxiety on what the heck i'm asking them to do here is any of that confusing partner no i got it let's do it all right man so going back to the days of, of william and mary and finding yourself with the defense there as that outside lapmaker sending us on our way uh putting it really a bow on episode seven with Steve Wiley here on High Performance Pathways. Steve, break us on out. Break down on three. One, two, three. Boom, shakalaka. Love it, man. I just, I just want to thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, inspiring others, and I just encourage your listeners to be epic and seek a better way. Hey, man, I love it, Steve. Hey, boom shakalaka, be epic and seek a better way uh, and, and connect with Steve if you're interested in learning more about him. Well, how the heck do you do that? You can clearly find him on LinkedIn at Steve Wiley, that's spelled W-I-L-E-Y, or explore his website at seekllc.com, and that's spelled C-E-E-K-L-E. LC.com. You can find this episode and more episodes of High Performance Pathways at my website, courtwhitman.com, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio listed as High Performance Pathways. Now get out there, everyone, and chase high performance in your life.